0: Welcome back to the Rainy Day Horror Show, you beautiful people. Okay, if you don't know who I am, I am Dusty McBalls. Give me a hell yeah! I said give me a hell yeah. yeah! A.K.A. the certified cougar hunter, A.K.A. the man with the biggest set of testicles there is out there, okay? Now, welcome back to this beautiful Sunday, alright? If you haven't figured out by now, I'm switching my Sunday episodes to release at 5pm Central Central Time. I was almost going to say Central Standard, but just Central Time, okay? So, on today's episode, we have Madame Delphine Lalaurie, okay? Now, before I get into it, One, get those Crocs on, set those bitches in adventure mode, okay? Because we're going to New Orleans again this week, alright? Second time in three weeks, okay, that we're going back there. So, um, also, there is a lot of fucking French words in this one, and I am going to mispronounce all of them. So, sorry in advance to my French people, okay? I, I they're hard, they are very, very hard to pronounce, okay, so, without further ado, I'm trying to think of anything else that I should, you know, no, there's nothing, so, without further ado, let's get into this wonderful story, all right, of Madame Delphine Lalaurie, actually not wonderful, she was a crazy bitch, and she did a lot of awful things, okay, so, this is fucking bad, she was awful, terrifying, okay, so, without further ado, Let's get into it. Madame Delphine Lalaurie was born on March 19th, 1787 to a very wealthy family in New Orleans. Delphine's maiden name, the name she was born with, is Marie Delphine McCarty. Now, most of the Delphine's family members were either Landowners, specifically the men, were either landowners or had, you know, a military background. And I'm not talking like a light background. I'm talking, you know, they were in the shit for years and they have a very high ranking in their military. Okay. Now, Delphine's father, Louis Bartholomew de McCarty, was knighted as the chevlar of the royal and Military Order of St. Louis. I don't know if it's St. Louis or St. Louis, but I'm just going to say St. Louis. By 1794, the McCarty family had 1,344 acres of land between Bartholomew and Independence, like streets, those are street names, and they backed up all the way to St. Claude Avenue. And they used, you know, th- all of this land, you know, for plantation, for plantation usage, okay? It is the late 1700s, okay? Slavery is still a huge thing in the South, okay? Maybe a little bit in the North, but es- especially in the South. Now, if you really couldn't, you know, read between the lines, she fucking had a very, you know, Great childhood, a wealthy childhood. Basically, got whatever she wanted. Okay. The McCarty's neighbor was also the famous and wealthy Pierre Philippe Mandeville de Marguerite. I think that's how you pronounce his last name. Okay. And if you don't know who he is, he is a real estate investor, you know, meaning he owned large plantations. In New Orleans, and it made him all of the land that he owned made him the richest landowner in Louisiana. He was also the colonel of the militia and put in charge of a new Spanish town called Galveston, I think that's how you pronounce it Galveston, which was just a little located outside of Baton Rouge. Okay, so yes. Delphine was rich and snotty, and this is a very huge theme throughout this legend, her legend, her story, okay? Now, Delphine's mom, you know, on the other hand, she was a little bit of a trickster, a little bit of a, a party animal, okay? She was known for being quite the hostess and would throw parties that went very late into the night, okay? Totally past the city ordinance of Atlanta, or not, not Atlanta, of New Orleans. She also loved to play pranks. Now, what she would do is she would grab, like, the male guest's clothes and shoes, like, you know, when you take off a jacket at the door or and you take your shoes off, well, what she would do is she would take their clothes and their shoes and then would hide their clothings from them. She would hide their fucking shoes and their jackets from them. And then, not, even, not that's not even the worst part, she would force them to walk home barefoot and in nightshirts. I would have been so upset. Oh, I would have been livid. Oh, I would have... Huh. I spent $3,000 on a jacket and you just... steal. Oh, bitch, you're dying. Oh, I'm going to kill you. If you don't give me my goddamn jacket back. We are going to be having a fist fight. Straight just knocking you out, woman. That's what's going to happen. Just going to punch you right in the throat. God, that would piss me off. Sorry. But, unfortunately, you know, those antics, you know, wouldn't, sorry I burped, wouldn't last long because she would pass away in 1807. Now, after Delphine's mom died, Delphine's dad was now on the prowl. He was looking for a new woman to take his wife's spot, and this, you know, very rich, very prominent Plantation owner did find someone. He found Sophie Musante, who was half European and half black. She was a free woman of color, and in 1815, Delphine's dad and Sophie would give birth to a child. Now, we'll break down why Delphine, you know, hated slaves and hated black people because this could be why her mom. I'll break it down more at the end, but this could be why, because, you know, her mom died and she took her mom's place, something like that, but, well, and then they also had a daughter, her, not Delphine, but her dad and Sophie, they did have a daughter named Delphine, a Miss McCarty, and it gave Lala Ree another sibling, adding to another member of the McCarty family. Now, like I said a little bit ago, this is where it kind of gets confusing on why Lalaurie tortured her slaves. Because not only was she part of a mixed-race family now, but some of her uncles and cousins were also in interracial relationships. So, I don't know 100% on if it's because her mom, you know, died and Sophie took her place, or if she was just really mentally ill and because of her upbringing and you know how there's the whole um you know the rich aren't nice to the slaves you see that in basically every documentary and I think that might also be it, just because she was brought up and she was taught that she's better than them I would assume but I I don't know a hundred percent and even the next door neighbor the count was in a in a re- Ugh was in an interracial relationship and had seven kids with his wife. So, like, I don't really know what the fuck her issue is when it comes, you know, and where it comes from, because her next boyfriend, or her first husband, was also half French and half Spanish. He was a Spaniard. So, I I don't know, and... She ended up marrying her first husband. Oh, this is bad. This one's really bad. Shame on him. But he married Delphine at the ripe young age of 14. What? She was barely 14 when she married 35-year-old widow Ramon Lopez y Angulio de la Candelera. Condolara, Condolaria, I'm sorry. Okay, these names are very fucking hard. Okay, I'm just gonna call him Ramon. Okay, now Ramon was an officer of the Spanish Crown and in second command of the Louisiana Governor. Now, yes. Okay, Ramon had some good accolades, but after losing his wife due to illness on his trip from Spain to Louisiana. He didn't just, he kind of harbored a lot of like anger and hatred towards the Spanish crown because they forced him on that voyage to Louisiana with an ill wife when he just wanted to postpone it just a little bit, just a little bit, just for a month. Just wanted to, you know, let his wife fully recover from her sickness. But the Spanish crown did not give a shit. They did not care. So since the you know spanish crown didn't care about his wife he started to like piss them off and one day the spanish crown didn't want to put up with it anymore and really what and what and what really pushed the spanish crown's buttons this time was when ramon opened up the importation of captives directly from africa defying the orders that Spain had implemented so in other words that doesn't really beat around the bush he just got involved in slave trade now these orders that Spain introduced basically banned the importation until hostilities settled in between Spain and Africa and there was more of a peaceful environment in this human trafficking trade and it's also speculated that he didn't ...ask for permission when he married Delphine on June 11th, 1800. So, because of these two acts, the Spanish crown started moving him basically around the world to a bunch of other, you know, different posts, different military posts. And it really took him away, not only from Delphine, but he lost his prominent position in New Orleans. But like usual. You know. It wasn't. You know. He wasn't doing this for too long. It took many letters. And an alleged visit to the queen from Delphine. That got him pardoned. And appointed the new position. Spanish Council of New Orleans. Under the American administration. And at this time. Like this exact fucking time he got pardoned Delphine was also pregnant and living in Havana waiting for him to return from Bordeaux, France so they could you know, go back to New Orleans together they wanted to start their little life together okay, now as Ramon boarded a ship that was setting sail for Havana you know, it was all going smooth, right he got on the ship he's about to go see his wife and right as he reached Havana like right off the coast of Havana the ship that he boarded crashed into a sandbar on January 11th 1805 and it killed him and it made Delphine a widow and now a single mom now after her you know husband's death she did the respectful thing and stayed in Havana just long enough to bury her husband, and to have her daughter, this is a long fucking name, and I'm gonna butcher it, her daughter's name, get this, this is so fucking long, I don't know why back in the 1800s, 1700s, they had so, like, many names for, it's just, oh, it's fucking long, like, I would hate to write this out on, like, you know, social security cards, or, like, when you have to put your full name on documents, this is what she has to write: Marie Delphine Francisca Borja Lopez Iangulio de la Candelara. Imagine writing that all down on like you're in school. You're about to take a test. You're about to take the NWEAs or the MCAs. People, I don't. If you're out of Minnesota, I, it's like our state test, or even on the ACT or SAT. Just you have to write, you. Have to write Marie Delphine Francisca Borja Lopez Iangulio de la Candelara. Oh, hey, no. Every fucking time, you know how awful that would be. I would change my name. I would instantly change my name. When I became of age to change my name, I would have fucking changed my name. That shit would be so fucking annoying. Oh, that would have drove me up a wall. But, you know, let's get back to the story. So, after her husband's burial and her daughter's, you know, baptism after she was born, Delphine and Maria set sail for New Orleans, where Delphine would eventually meet her second husband, jean Paul Blanc who was also a widow I'm starting to realize that um a lot of these older stories a lot of people are just fucking widows just all died gosh now two oh just a bunch of widows which is understandable just because like you know medical wasn't good back then stuff like that but goddamn people are always fucking widows in these stories Now, these two lovebirds got married on March 19th, 1807. Just a few weeks after Delphine's mother had passed away. And when Delphine just turned 20. Imagine being, you know, at the age of 20 and you already had two fucking marriages. Jesus Christ, that would be fucking insane. Now, Jean was a ruthless businessman And was associated with the notorious pirate brothers. Jean and Pierre Lafitte. Now Jean was a huge douchebag. I kind of a douchebag. Alright because he only married Delphine for her inheritance. Because after Delphine's mom passed. Delphine inherited her mother's downtown plantation. On the bank of the Mississippi River. She also inherited $33,000, 52 slaves, livestock and farm equipment. And on top of all of that, Jean and Delphine were gifted another plantation from Delphine's father with an additional 26 slaves. And if you're wondering how much, you know, money that is, all of these inheritance gifts in today's money are worth around $2 million dollars. Now, even though he was a businessman, he was also very active in the slave trade and was the director of the Bank of Louisiana, right? So, this dude, you know, he had some money, alright? But, not only did he have some money, he had a shit ton of, like, debt, And we're about to get into that and how it affected Delphine, because it almost royally fucked her. Now, by the time 1815 hit, you know, the two lovebirds had five children, and, you know, like usual throughout this whole entire story, this whole legend, Delphine and him were just living a very, very lavish lifestyle. But all of that would soon come to an end, because by the time 1816 hit just a year later, just a year after they were living lavish. Jean Paul Blanc, Blanc, not Blanc, Blanc, would pass away at 55 years old, leaving 28-year-old Delphine to raise six kids and to pay Jean's debt that totaled over $60,000. Or in today's time, $2.5 million. I would have been fucking pissed. I would have dug up that grave and I would have beat the shit out of him. And this, all this debt made Delphine give the courts like some of their properties that they own together, right? And all of their mutual assets so she could protect and keep her personal properties like the ones that were gifted to her from her father and her mother and the assets that she inherited from when her mom died and same like what her dad gave to her right so just imagine that right do you not have to oh, fuck I would have been so pissed oh it doesn't even matter I would have been fucking livid okay livid l-i-v-i-d right I'm living good but you just decided to have all this fucking debt and fuck me Gosh, she also after like selling like their conjoined properties, she also sold all of Jean's belongings for the next ten years, including his like properties that he owned and the slaves that he owned. Now, Jean's debt almost made Delphine file for bankruptcy, but thankfully for her, well, it's kind of more it's kind of morbid, but thankfully you know her dad. Passed away at the right time in 1824, leaving her with $5,000 and two slaves. Now, a year later, in 1825, you know, Delphine fucking met her third and final husband, Dr. Louis Lalari. Okay. And this is where she took his last name. And this is where the story gets fucking nasty. Okay. Gets fucking terrifying, alright? Now, Louis arrived in New Orleans in February of 1825 from Bordeaux, France. Now, Louis' specialty, his job, this doctor's job, he was a chiropractic worker. or Not chiropractic worker, but he was a chiropractic doctor. And he called his practice or his work straightening crooked backs and this is how Delphine and Louis met one day Delphine saw you know an ad in the fucking I don't know newspaper or on like a a billboard or something like that I don't know what they had back then and it you know basically said Dr. Louis Lalaurie come to me I can you know straighten your crooked back okay now is that exactly what it said no but it was probably something similar to that, okay? That's all I'm going to say. I don't know exactly what the flyer said, but it was a flyer. She saw it. She went to him because one of Delphine's children had a quote-unquote crooked back. And she took that child. She, she took said child to Dr. Louis. And that's how, you know, the romance started between the two, okay? Now, the 38-year-old Delphine was now dating 25 year old doctor, and eventually they would have a kid together out of wedlock. And after this child was born, they started to negotiate a marriage contract. If you don't know what having a kid out of wedlock means, it means they had a kid before they got married, okay? Which I don't know, I guess is a big deal back then, but I mean, fucking people do it all the time now. It's weird how you know times have changed, right? Now, after everything was like sorted out, like the finances, properties, slaves, whatever, whatever, you know, basically a prenup, I think, is what they're trying to get at here. And, you know, all the boring stuff was, you know, done. They headed down to St. Louis Cathedral, where they got married. Now, it's alleged that their wedding was pushed back six months due to them having a kid before they got married. But... They eventually did get married and it turns out this marriage wasn't really a happy one and this is around the time Delphine started to torture her slaves. And the awful thing is her husband knew about it too and he allowed it to happen. And so did some of the neighbors. They knew what she was doing and they allowed it to happen. Now in 1831... She purchased two lots, okay, on the corner of Royal and Governor Nichols Street. They're streets, okay. I don't know if they're avenues or, you know, whatever, but they're streets. Which today... Wait, no, sorry. Let me let me backtrack a little bit. Which at the time was called Hospital Street, okay. So today they're called Royal and Governor, Stre- Governor Nichols Street. And back then it was called Hospital Street. Now, this house would eventually become the infamous haunted Lalaurie Mansion. Now this move into like the new lavish mansion on Hospital Street was suspected to maybe improve their relationship, but it didn't. And on November 16th, 1832, Delphine Lalaurie petitioned to the courts For a separation from her husband. Delphine claimed to the courts, and I quote, in the presence of many witnesses, he beat and wounded her in the most outrageous and cruel manner. She then asked the judge to authorize her to live separately from her husband in the home she now occupies with her family. It's that massive mansion, okay, that they were living on, that they were living in. And along with these unhappy marriage allegations, it is suspected around, you know, she started torturing her slaves around 1828. So a few years prior. And there's some there's some weird speculation on why she tortured her, you know, slaves. One, she could have been mentally ill, and two, Another one is that Dr. Louis would actually, wasn't home a lot. He had a cottage on the other side of town, I believe, I can't remember, but I believe it was on the other side of town where he would stay and he would do his chiropractic work only coming home for a little bit. So this maybe Delphine thought, you know, he was cheating on her. You know, with some of these other people that are coming to see him, you know, because i assume he's an attractive young man, kind of like me. But I would assume that was maybe she was just angry at him, never there, didn't really, you know, help out around the house with the family, anything like that. So maybe she took her anger out on her slaves. Or, you know, she just had that hatred because her mom mom died and then a black lady came in to, you know, married her dad and maybe that's why. But it never really specifies what really caused her to, like, do this, to torture her slaves. And when I say torture her slaves, it was fucking awful. It was awful, okay? And since, like, she started torching her slaves in 1828, she actually had a court hearing for the mistreatment of said slaves in 1828, 1829, 1832, and every time she went to court and had these hearings and stuff, she was indicted on all of her charges by paying off the judges because, you know, she had the money. She, you know... She could do it. But as she was getting away with torturing these poor souls, eventually karma would catch up to her. And it caught up to her bad. Real fucking bad. And this awful day of, not really awful, awful for the people that died in it, but good for the people that saved those poor souls that were in this situation on april 10th 1834 there was a fire that broke out at her mansion now this fire started in her kitchen it's unclear on how it started but i would assume it would be like you know by the stove like a grease fire or something like that that's what i would assume and it literally engulfed The entire kitchen, and it quickly spread to the service wing, and then it, you know, spread throughout the house. Now, several people helped, you know, trying to tame this fire, and some even went into the house to save the souls trapped in the house. One of the very first people on scene was Judge Jacques Francois Canage. I don't know if that's how you say his last name. But we're going to roll with it. And he asked the Lalarees to have, you know, the slaves removed to a place, you know, from their house and moved to a place more safe. Because he and the neighbors knew that the upper part of the Lalarees mansion was used for where the slaves stayed. That was the little where they, you know, just where they stayed after they were done working. But, but after, you know, Jacques Judge, Jacques asked that question. Louis Lalaurie shot back a cold answer, knowing that if the if Judge Jacques went into his house, he would make a gruesome discovery. So Louis told Jacques, there are those. Who would be better employed if they would attend to their own affairs instead of officiously intermeddling with the concerns of other people? Just a big old fucking douchebag, right? But he's trying to cover his ass. He knows what's coming to him, right? And thankfully, Judge Jacques didn't listen, and he saw the flames rapidly growing to where the slaves where the slave stayed in the house. So, he broke down the doors to the Lalaurie mansion and what he saw, what he fucking saw and the other people that joined him was fucking horrific, okay? They saw several black people emerge from the fire in the service wing, noticing that, you know, not only are they covered in fire, but they also had scars covering their bodies and they were also in chains. They also discovered several slaves horribly mutilated and some of the slaves suspended by their neck with limbs stretched and torn from one extremity to the other. They also saw an elderly black lady and she was found with a deep wound on her head. Another woman was found chained to the stove another a man was found with a large hole in his head and his body was covered with scars and his fresh wounds were filled with worms and then another lady was found wearing an iron collar chain and she was also chained at her feet and I'm just gonna you know save you guys the rest of this Gruesome interaction that they saw because it gets worse. Like, way worse. Like, one kid was only fed once a day and he was brutally beaten in the morning. And he was just chained to this one little pole, this one little support beam in the house. Okay. So, it is really fucking bad what she did to these people. Now, after the fire, the, the slaves were taken to the mayor's office where they gave them medical attention, food and water, you know, trying to, you know, like, not really like, hey, try to explain, explain to them like what she did was fucking awful. Like they were trying to take care of them, get them back to being um, not as brutally hurt. OK, but at the Lolleries home, it was a different story. As the angry mob outside waited for the authorities to come and lock up the Lalarees, what remained of the house was absolutely quiet. And as these people waited for the cops to come, the day grew longer and longer and the sheriff never came. And this allowed the Lalarees to escape. Bastian one of the Lollery's like slaves, he was a coachman. He pulled up with their carriage and ma- and they all hopped in, and they made a run for it. Like they fucking booked it, and they ran to Lake Pontchartrain, I think is how you say it, where they successfully escaped. Now, after she escaped, fellow New Orleans residents. Were so upset that they actually they were so upset with the law that they actually destroyed the remaining part of the Rees mansion. Now, once the Rees made it to Lake Pontchartan, I think I'm probably saying that totally wrong, they got all of their orders, you know not all of their orders, they got all of their affairs in order and assigned power of attorney to Delphine's son-in-law. Now, after that happened, after they, you know, made their son-in-law power of attorney, they booked it for New York City and on June 24th, 1834, they hopped on a ship and set sail for the French port Le Harvey. I think that's how you say it. Once they reached France... They made their way to one of Louis LaLaurie's family homes in Villanueva, Sir Lot, I think is how you say it. And once they reached there, they hung out there for a little bit, and then Louis would eventually leave his wife and kids, and he would head back to Cuba to continue his work as a doctor, and he would eventually die there in Havana in 1863. Now... While living in France, Delphine was still living a lavish lifestyle because Placid Fort Saul was like selling everything she had in New Orleans and every all the money that she sold, he would give it to uh, August Delassis, who was, you know, Delphine's power of attorney, her son-in-law and After August would get that money, he'd send it to Delphine so she could continue her, you know, crazy spending habits. But one day she stopped receiving that money because her son in law, you know, August saw over her business affairs, like I just explained, and started taking her money and was using it for himself to buy himself things. All right. And after Delphine found that. Out, she made plans to come back into New Orleans to confront her son-in-law now there are two rumors there are two ways people believe she died in this legend in this story one says in 1940 or not 1942 1842 she was killed by a wild boar never making her intended trip she was killed on a hunting expedition in the resort village of Pau, and she just never made it her trip another and this is the more likely one is that she just died of illness on december 7th 1849 okay but it was never there's two stories okay but the most one that most people believe is that she died of illness in 1849 okay now after she died She was then buried in Paris, nearby Church of St. Louis d'Anton. And she was really only buried there for a little bit. Like temporarily. Because there are records that show that a caretaker dug her up and shipped her off to to New Orleans. To where she was, you know, to be buried in 1851. Officially, she was officially buried in 1851. At the Saint Louis Cemetery number one, where her infamous haunted house still stands to this day. Now, it's not like she wasn't buried at the house. The house is not the cemetery. But that is where, you know, near her house. It was what I'm trying to say. This now this this story was a little weird, okay, to research. Because I saw a bunch of similarities between Delphine and Marie Laveau. Now, when I say by similarities is, Lalaurie went to Lake Pontchartan. I think that's how I said it. I'm sorry if I'm fucking butchering that. And Marie Laveau's daughter, remember, died drowning in that lake. Right? Delphine, I think, is also buried in the same cemetery with Marie Laveau. So there's a lot of weird things, right? And like how her Delphine's husband went to Cuba and died in Havana. And that's where her first husband died. Really, really weird. Okay, it is really, really weird. Now, I'm going to assume that why she tortured her slaves and stuff like that. Why she did all those awful things to those poor people. I think it's because... When her mom died, her dad decided to go out and, you know, find a lady that was half European and half black. That's what I'm going to assume. And that's where that hatred kind of started. And then I think it was fueled more by when her husband, doctor, the doctor, Louis, when he wasn't really home anymore. And she started taking her anger out on the slaves. Because she... From what I read, she did have a big temper, she was just mean. she was just this mean old lady. She would burst out, she could be completely fine one minute and then tearing everything down, you know the next. She was very emotion she was a very emotional person. So I would assume, you know, and the marriage wasn't happy. I would assume that also played a role into her torturing her slaves, which was awful. I would... God, if that happened in today's time, I wonder what the fuck would happen. I... That would have been fucking awful in today's time. Well, it was awful no matter what. Okay, don't get me wrong. Awful no matter what. But... I don't... I feel like maybe back then, because you know, it's the 1700s, 1800s. You know, it was more... If you look at history, it was more acceptable to be you know, slaves, or people of color, but nowadays, oh my god, this nation would have been fucking torn down, which it should have been, okay, for something like that, but at least, you know, the judge, he didn't listen, he went, and a bunch of other, several other people went in there and got those poor people out, those poor slaves out of there, and, There's at least somewhat of a happy ending, okay? Karma did catch up to this dumb bitch, all right? Thankfully, I'm so happy that her son-in-law started stealing her money. I'm so happy that I think it would be funny if she died from a wild boar, because that thing is, that would be fucking hilarious. So maybe she did die from that. Let's just say she died from that. But thankfully, karma did catch up to her, and she got fucked hard. So, that's really it for this story. Um, what else am I trying to think about? Don't know what I'm going to do for this Sunday yet. I have a few options. It's Halloween. Well, not yet, but it will be Halloween. And it's finally fall, the best time of the year, okay? Then it's going to get cold and it's going to get negative 10 degrees where I'm at. And then I'm going to be sad and depressed and want to throw myself out a window. But that's okay. Not really, but it'll be fine we'll make it through the winter. Um, what else? I was just on a podcast yesterday. So we, that he'll let me know when it comes out, then I'll tell you guys and stuff like that. So other than that, I don't really have anything else for you. Remember, keep voting on face of horror. I have it on my Instagram story. So you will be able to just go to my Instagram story and just click it and vote. All right. Um, if you want a custom made sweatshirt, follow me on Instagram. Well, not follow me, but DM me on Instagram at the rainy day horror show where I can, you know, get get the materials. Tell me which colors you want. I'll go out and get the shit and then I'll fucking shoot you a price. We'll, we'll, we'll not shoot you a price, but we'll make up a price together and then I will ship it out to you and you can have your own little one of one rainy day horror show sweatshirt thing, right? This Wednesday... Um, Me and Gabby are doing an episode on the 2012 Aurora Movie Theater shooting, so be on the lookout for that, and yeah, I hope you guys are having a good, you know, weekend, alright, Sunday, we're relaxing, we're having fun, we just got back from our adventure, right, now we're just gonna, you know, relax the rest of the day, okay, so, remember, stay frosty, stay foxy, and most importantly, the most important thing on this fucking universe Stay frosty, you beautiful peacocks. I love y'all. Deuces.